0: Hello everyone and welcome to Incorruptible Massachusetts. This is where we hope to help you understand state politics. So uh, we talk a lot about why it's so broken, uh, what we could have here in Massachusetts if we fixed it, how you can get involved. Uh, Today, we are talking about uh, reproductive rights, abortion rights, and Roe versus Wade, what's happening there. Um, And we have an amazing guest, Uh, I'm gonna let our uh, goofy regulars introduce themselves, including myself. Um, So uh, starting with uh, Jordan Berg-Powers.
1: Jordan Berg-Powers, I work in politics in Massachusetts and I use he, him.
0: And Jonathan Cohn.
2: Uh, Jonathan Cohn, he, him, his, activist in Boston for progressive issue and electoral work here in Massachusetts.
0: Anna Callahan, she, her coming at you from Medford vying for the goofiest, but we'll see. Um, and we have an amazing guest today. Um, we have uh, Dr. Jennifer Childs-Roschak, uh, who's an MD, and she's also the CEO and President of Planned Parenthood League of Massachusetts and the Planned Parenthood Advocacy Fund of Massachusetts, um, doing incredible work in this area. Um, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. And I, um, my pronouns are she, hers,
3: and I, I really appreciate the fact that um, that you guys normally have a much more local Massachusetts-based conversation. And, and this one really, really kind of hits, um, hits the notes on what's happening out there beyond uh, our borders a bit. So, so thank you for the
0: opportunity to talk about abortion care. Oh, man, we are, <laughs> we are, I, I would say excited about it. We're excited about the conversation, but like super depressing what's happening um, at the national level. Can you talk to us a little bit about um, what is happening right now with Roe versus Wade?
3: Yeah, you know absolutely, and and you know I think um, I just want to underscore I'm a family doctor I'm not a lawyer so um, you know I think uh, you know future conversations you can dive a little bit more into the actual nitty gritty but what's happening um, right now in our country is um, what we're ex- we're expecting that the Supreme Court Supreme Court um, has decided to take up a case called Dobbs versus um, Jackson Women's Health Organization and that case um, is asking the Supreme Court to opine on um, a 15-week ban. So the current um, the current decision about with Roe v. Wade is abortion care um, is legal um, uh, uh, up to the up to viability, and 15 weeks is well before viability, so earlier. And so the other piece of that that case is they're asking the Supreme Court essentially to overturn Roe v. Wade, and what you know what we expect that that would, would do would be open up a floodgate. Um, of multiple states, up to 26 states, have already teed up trigger laws, they're called. So as soon as Roe v. Wade is overturned by the Supreme Court, then 26 states, so that's more than half, right, of the United States um, would, would overturn access to, uh, to, to abortion care um, in, um, in, uh, in the country. Um, and the other you know, quick thing I just want to want to point out is that, you know, um, 2021 has been the busiest year for abortion foes um, uh, around the country. Over 100, uh, 100 changes and restrictions to abortion care have been in place. Um, SB 8 or Senate Bill 8 in Texas is, is uh, a great example of what's happening all around the country, um, but over 100 just in 2021 alone.
0: A horrible example, yes. (laughs) A great but horrible example of what is happening around the country. Um, And, you know, uh, so interested in the discussion, I I neglected to ask you just about the organization that you work with. And Can you give us a little bit about kind of your mission and what you're, you know, how you're involved in this this fight? Yeah,
3: absolutely. So Planned Parenthood um, uh, League of Massachusetts is is one of um, uh, 48 affiliates around the country providing uh, comprehensive sexual and reproductive health care. Um, In Massachusetts, uh, we we have um, four health centers around the state. Um, We provide abortion care, birth control, uh, well-person exams. Um, We do gender-affirming hormone therapy at our health centers, Um, and we do um, uh, uh, HIV uh, HIV, um, pre-exposure care as well as post-exposure to reduce um, the risk of HIV and sexually transmitted infection testing and and treatment. So um, pretty broadly, um, sexual and reproductive health care. And um, we, we are statewide. So we we take care of patients um, from all parts of the state. Um, We also, uh, with the pandemic, um, like a lot of organizations, spun up a very robust telehealth um, uh, uh, platform. And so our patients, uh, except for the things that actually have absolutely have to be seen in person, um, we are able to take care of patients using technology. And right now about 25% of our visits overall are being conducted with telehealth, which um, which I think bodes, um, it's great for patients, patients love it. Um, uh, patients have been asking me for 15 years, like why they couldn't get a visit um, with me uh, over telehealth. So, so I think, you know, it's, it's great for patients and it, I think it's also a great thing to think about for the future of abortion access, um, even potentially across state lines.
0: Yeah. So in your position, like what's so great about Planned Parenthood is you, you're you're on the ground like with people who have these needs like every single day. And so can you talk just just a little about what does it mean for Roe v. Wade to be overturned? I mean, obviously we'll, we'll ask about Massachusetts in a second, but I just mean, what does it mean for people's lives who are, who are in these situations? How is this going to affect people?
3: Yeah, I mean it. It's 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 heartbreaking. You know, when you think back, um, I'm old enough um, to have been alive during um, the uh, 1973 during Roe v. Wade, and and um, I have um, colleagues and patients who lived through that time when um, when people were women were dying needlessly um, (laughs) because they were so desperate um, to get uh, to get care. And and to be very clear, abortion care is very safe. It's probably probably safe, safer than a colonoscopy. Um, it's certainly uh, much safer than having a baby, 14 times safer than actually taking a pregnancy to term. And that's not a reason to have an abortion, um, but it certainly should be options for people. And, and so, you know, what we know is without access um, to safe and legal abortion, um, and if Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade were overturned, um, about half of the people who can get, who can get pregnant in America uh, will not have access to uh, abortion care. And you know, part of the challenge with abortion care is that it, it is routine health care. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, it's very safe. Um, it's something one in four um, with people who can get pregnant um, have had an abortion. Um, so it's common um, mm-hmm. and it is safe. And it's also, but it's one of those things that has been heavily stigmatized. And so um, I think you know one of the things that we, we see with patients is when they don't have access to information, um, they don't know what their options and choices are. When they are you know, kind of steered in one way or another, they don't have an askable adult. If they're a young person, um, it really impacts people's um, health and well-being. Um, and we know that, that folks who would like to have an abortion, um, who are not able to access an abortion or denied abortion care, um, they are four times higher to end up below the federal, federal poverty level. So there's lots of reasons why people have, mm-hmm. um, have abortions. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that, that does get in the way is, is people assuming it's only one you know, air quotes type of person uh, mm-hmm. who has abortion care, but there's lots, lots of reasons why. And the bottom line here is that the person who's pregnant and their partner and their doctor should be making those decisions. Politicians should never be deciding who gets care and where and, uh, and, that's, and that's what we're seeing around the country.
2: I just want to underscore one point that you made about, uh, about safe and legal because it really underscores that kind of point about how it's like abortion didn't suddenly become a reality right, with Roe v. Wade. But what, what, what's happened since is be able to provide, making it so that it can be safe, it can be legal, and be part of kind of the general framework of, that we understand as healthcare. So that like, whenever kind of, kind of whenever conservatives are trying to, quote, quote, say like, when they're trying to ban abortion, like abort, the issue is that like a practice that has happened will still happen, but it will be riskier for people who don't have access and can be kind of unsafe. And it'll basically be putting their lives at risk for doing in the ways that existed and have pre voby be where exactly. women wouldn't have women are often in kind of unsafe situations trying to do something that they should be able to do as part of the regular healthcare system
3: absolutely and, and thank you so much for for highlighting that because we we actually saw um what and we're seeing it now in in texas again but um previously in texas there was another case which effectively banned abortion access. So something can be legal, but if someone doesn't have access to that because of uh-huh. you know geographic differences or um, or financial differences, you know, there's lots of reasons why someone can't access something that they have a right to. And what we saw in Texas the first time around a few years ago was we did see an increase in. Um, not just people trying, you know, traveling, but, you know, people Googling, how do I do my own abortion? People showing up in emergency rooms with complications, um, people traveling um, to Mexico and other places. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we know, we know that what's going to happen. And it's exactly what we saw pre Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. It's why Roe v. Wade was put in place in the first time. And we know for sure that being, being denied access to abortion care doesn't mean that people just say oh well forget it then i'm just Mm -hmm. i'm just not going to do that they they proceed with unsafe and unhealthy ways um to achieve their goal and you know and i think the 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 other thing that you said was really important you know not only does this affect the person who's pregnant's life Mm -hmm. it affects all the people around them for those people Mm -hmm. who died um who die um, mm-hmm. And that we saw this again. I'm not trying to be inflammatory. We know that this no. happened before before Roe Wade, and it's ha- it will happen again. You know that impacts the children that are left behind. You know the families mm-hmm. that are left behind. Um, the majority of people who have who seek abortion care um, have other live children, so they mm-hmm. they know what decision they're making, and um, and it really uh, it's a ripple effect across communities.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so that's, we've talked a little bit about kind of broadly the effect, um, but what, if, when, if, when Roe v. Wade is overturned um, by the Supreme Court, what would that mean here in Massachusetts?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, that's, um, that's something I'm, I am grateful for. And, and there's been a lot of work um, in Massachusetts over the last 10 years in particular um, to build a, um, a, a pro reproductive rights uh, legislature, Um, to make sure that uh, archaic laws, like laws that were still on the books that married women, you know, needed permission from their husband to buy birth control, like things like that um, have been repealed. Um, We've spent a lot of time making sure that birth control um, is accessible. We have really worked hard um, to try to get um, sex education passed. And, And this is all, you know, this is all in coalition work, right? This is not something that Planned Parenthood has done. Um, we have not uh, we have not done this by ourselves. It certainly takes a village. but uh, but that, I think the you know the idea that uh, and, and this was several years ago that abort the, uh, the right to access abortion care is a constitutional right in the Massachusetts Constitution is really um, important to note. Um, I think the other thing that's really important to note is that Massachusetts has long has as, as for a very long time been a leader um, in understanding that health care is a right. Um, and healthcare is critical, and a healthier population makes for a healthier state. Um, and so, um, for for a very long time, um, making sure that that people who are on Mass Health or the Medicaid equivalent uh, in Massachusetts have the same um, access to the same healthcare services as as including abortion care that other folks on other insurance um, have. So those are things that have been in place um, for quite a while in Massachusetts and will remain in place. Um, no matter
2: what happens with, with Roe v. Wade. Yeah. One thing that I'd be curious kind of as a follow-up for that is what are things that, let's say, that under the condition that Roe v. Wade were to be overturned by the Supreme Court, what, how can Massachusetts kind of like as a state be helpful to, let's say, the other states in the, in the country? Um, kind of, let's say, like like, it, like, like to individuals in those states, not the United states, cross-states. Uh, let's say, let's say in, like, in Texas or have we were talking about before those other states, like, is there kind of an outward facing role uh, that, that that's like something where a place like Massachusetts can do given how so many of us often think of Massachusetts in that framework as well of its role in kind of the country as a whole.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll continue to focus on the, the patient care aspects. Yeah. Um, Cause there's, you know, I think there's a lot uh, that can yeah. be done advocacy wise, but I think for for us and for you know Planned Parenthood around the country, um, and for independent um, abortion providers as well. I think you know the things that we can do are um, supporting patients financially. Mm-hmm. Um, so every state you know typically has some sort of we call them justice funds, but you know the mm-hmm. ability for for patients you know number one phone call you know a, a phone that people could call into a phone line to get information get steered towards. Um, And so it's sort of a patient navigation um, effort, um, but gets steered towards uh, the services that that uh, are are best for them um, Mm -hmm. and closest for them, um, and then connect people with uh, with the background support um, to get to an appointment. So they might need childcare, they might need um, finances to for, you know, for a bus ticket, they might need um, someone to go with them, you know, so I think, you know, those types of things that that we can support um, patients no matter where we are. I think the other the other thing that is really important is figuring out how to you know how to continue to leverage technology. So you know there are a couple of uh, two different ways you can uh, you can have an abortion. One is um, actually there are three ways. Um, one is a natural abortion that happens a lot. A third of pregnancies actually do end up in spontaneous um, uh, miscarriage and and uh, spontaneous abortion. Um, uh, a medication abortion can occur up to about ten weeks. Um, and that is something that uh, that we are providing by, via telehealth um, for for a lot of patients now, um, if they you know if they sort of fit the right criteria medical criteria. But um, and that's something that um, that that technology can really, is really made a difference in the ability to mail people medication, um, the ability to to have an informational visit um, uh, with a provider over Zoom um, goes, goes a long way. And then um, the third way, the, the, the way that people mostly think about abortion care is a surgical abortion, which does need to be done in person. Um, so I think, you know, talking with patients about what their options are, what their um, you know, not just for care, but also, you know, for what support systems they need to seek the care that, that they're choosing. Um, you know, I think all of those things, a lot can be done um, um, leveraging, uh, leveraging technology. Um, I think the the last thing I would just say is, is I think there are some roadmaps that various, you know, states like Massachusetts, we've been able to create a little bit of a, of a advocacy roadmap, a clinical training roadmap. Um, we do a lot of research at, at PPLM, uh, Planned Parenthood and League of Mass, um, both social science and clinical research that then guides um, both the advocacy work and and programmatic um, development, but also uh, the clinical work uh, that that uh, that and the experience that patients have. So I think those are all things that that states like Massachusetts um, are doing and and can continue to do um, for patients no matter where they live.
1: And is there a piece that like we could pass legislation to make it easier to do these things across, state lines? Is there a legislative, you know, sort of role to make the um the the practice uh you know the sort of you know you're you're focusing on the actual care for folks, right? But there's yeah. legislation that guides this. What could we be doing like to be advocating for better legislation around it?
3: Yeah, so I, I think there's a bunch of different things. So the telehealth um telehealth laws uh, I think are are really important um and regulations and payment for telehealth. Um and I think, you know, some of those are working their way um, through the, the Massachusetts legislature. Um, what we saw was that the pandemic um, exempt- exemptions um, really made a huge difference for patients and not just patients coming for abortion and, or sexual and reproductive rights care. But, you know, patients who have diabetes, patients who have heart disease. Right. You know, depression mm-hmm. You know so many reasons why telehealth. So that, that's one. Um, I, there's a number of bills that that we are supporting. Uh, on the, in the legislature that expand abortion access. So things like making sure that um, uh, health centers in university colleges and universities um, can provide abortion care. Um, I think it's also really important to start thinking about um, it's not just about abortion care and it's not just about healthcare. It's about health and health and wellness in general. And, Mm. and that includes, you know, access to healthy food and access um, to safe neighborhoods and the ability to vote for people who are going to then support those mm-hmm. things. So I, I think those are those are all things. And, and without getting too wonky, um, you know, one of the things that's always a challenge um, uh, for just physicians, and I'm sure it's the same is true for nurses. But um, my knowledge is mostly around physician credentialing. Is you know getting um, you know a provider up and running in a practice is really time-consuming and um, it delays the time for someone to actually start seeing patients. So it impacts impacts patient access to getting into the healthcare system. And whenever someone, you know, tries to move their medical license or nursing license across state lines, you start the whole process all over again. So in my little pipe dream um, of a perfect world, I would include something that crosses over state lines that allows a doctor or a nurse or a nurse practitioner or a midwife or a physician assistant to have a universal credentialing system where everyone mm-hmm. gives them the mm-hmm. thumbs up and then they can practice in various States. And that would make a huge difference, um, for, um, for States that are really geographically spread out, you know, where it's really hard to recruit, um, providers to an area. Um, and, um, I think, you know, it would be huge to, to just health in general. So, you know, if you're asking me about a little, you know, fantasy world, it would include that
1: as well. And one of the things that's near and dear to my heart, because I get frustrated that not only do people wrongly attack sort of access to um, healthcare and women's healthcare, but then especially around abortion, but then they also are like, you can't learn about your parts. <laughs> you can't learn about the things. You can't do anything to prevent, do the just sensical things to prevent um. <clears throat> To prevent people from from having, um, you know, from having unwanted uh, pregnancies, and I'll just say really quickly that, you know, I grew up at a time in the '90s where we had comprehensive sex education, and we saw that in my generation, people who had those years, um, abortions went down, un- like um, sexual partners went down, like the things that they claim won't happen actually happened. Right. And the opposite Mm -hmm. is true. When you don't know what you're doing, you make all sorts of bad decisions. But when you have information, you're making safer decisions. You know, so contraception use is higher among people my age. Um, Abortions went down among people my age. Right. We literally saw the things that we know will happen, happened. Mm -hmm. And they were like, nope, those don't happen. In fact, head in sand. I rem- it reminds me, it's like a precursor to anti-vaxxing, the sort yeah. of anti-sex ed stuff. It's like, it doesn't matter that the facts are that abortions were down and people were safer and actually all the things they say don't happen, happen. We're just going to pretend that didn't happen. Like we're just yeah. and pretend to think. So you talk a little bit about the fight for sex ed. And for those who don't know, in Massachusetts, if you teach sex ed, you can literally teach anything. It doesn't have to be yeah. grounded, in fact. And
0: yeah, that bill exactly. has been stuck there at the, the statehouse for a long time. Yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. I think, it, I think it was first introduced by Catherine Clark and, you know, yeah. we know where she is now. So, um, <laughs> and thank you, Jordan, so much for bringing that up because I think it's so easy. I find myself doing this as well, talking about Roe v. Wade and abortion access, but the story starts sooner, right? The story mm-hmm. starts, you know, way sooner um, with, with sex education and understanding, you know, your body, um, understanding consent, <laughs> um, understanding, um, how to ask, you know, what options there are for birth control and you are absolutely right. And it's something that, you know, that, that we do talk about a lot, you know, that, you know, there is a reason why, um, unplanned pregnancies are down. There's a reason why the abortion rate is dropping and it has been dropping. Um, you know, we are all doing, um, a much better job with sex education and birth control. And, and even that is a little bit on the, you know, I think on the, Certainly, on the chopping block when when uh, when Biden's predecessor was in office, um, it, it you know it was clear that there was no uh, priority setting around preventive care. And you know, one of my favorite lines is, "If you're anti-abortion, then you should be all in on birth control and sex education."
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And so, you yeah. know, maybe a silver lining—it's um, probably a little fantasy world—but you know, would be that people in these red states that are super anti-abortion maybe they'll be really, really positive about birth control and sex education. Honestly, I don't think that's going to happen because it's really about politics Uh Uh and it's not about healthcare Uh and it's about controlling people. It's not about giving them personal agency. Uh And so, um, you know, I wish that were going to be the case, but, um, hope isn't a strategy as we know, but I think, you know, thank you for lifting that up because that is absolutely right. Um, and, Um, And plenty of of ways to go and do better, even in Massachusetts, around sex education, as you mentioned, um, and also around birth control access.
0: Yeah, so we're actually, we're talking about this before we started, and we're very excited to dig deeper into the politics, the, uh, the national and state politics around Um, abortion access and reproductive rights. Um, And we are going to have another conversation about that for sure. Um, But Jen, thank you so much. This is really the incredible work that you do is so important. Um, And we love having you here. So we're looking forward to having you back.
3: Well, thank you so much. And I, you know, I always love being able to talk about patient care. Um and I want to just end um not only by thanking all of you for lifting this issue up. I'm looking forward to the the political side uh, with with uh my colleagues um in the coalition. Um but I do want to just do a, a quick shout out to all of the clinicians, the healthcare providers um, on the front lines, whether you're providing abortion care, sexual reproductive healthcare, primary care, emergency care, ICU care, it's a really tough time. Um, we so appreciate all the work that you're doing, and this is about this particular fight, but um, but the uh, it's it's real and really want to one just a shout out to all of the, all of the healthcare providers. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. Uh, thanks so much, everyone. We'll see everybody next week.
3: Thanks so much. Take care.